I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain, isn't he? Second captain, first captain, whatever. I never got home those, those, those boys. Good morning and welcome to Second Captain Sunday. Oh, Mike Devitt here with Murph and Ken. Hi, guys. Hello there. Hi, on, are you? Good it's morning. a bank holiday weekend, so please consider this more of a Saturday. Just relax, put those feet up at home. I mean it, seriously, put them up on the couch there. You know you want it. You're you talking to me? No, no I'm talking to our listeners at home. A little higher, get nice and comfy. Why not shut those weary eyes while you're at it? Go back to sleep for an hour or two. We won't take any offence. I'm sure people will hear us subliminally or in some subconscious manner. In the last few weeks, we've had some massive names in the Second Captain Studios from the world of comedy, movies and broadcasting, including pool shark Lenny Abramson. Mm-hmm. Last week, they've all arrived with one goal in mind and one goal only, to be crowned Ireland's greatest ever non-sports person, sports person. Today's claim to the throne comes from a comedian who's just as comfortable doing a stand-up gig in Chinese as he is playing cornerback for a junior C team deep in the Gale Talks in Connemara. He's back from New York where he's had a front row seat for the unfolding circus of the US presidential race. The great Des Bishop is on the show this morning. Looking forward to Des coming in here. He moved, of course, from Queens to Ireland in his teens to connect with his Cork roots, making him arguably the most famous Corkonian American on the planet, although a worthy rival is Danny the Yank Cullity. We're going to tell the story of Danny, the man who was born and raised in San Francisco, I believe, Murph, yep. where he dreamed of playing Gaelic games before arriving in Cork, aged 18. Yeah, it's not one of these, yeah. arri- he arrived as a four-year-old. He actually arrived here at the age of 18 and started playing. <laughs> His formative years very much were in the US. Yeah. So, and he came over, played a huge part on the All-Ireland wins in the great Cork team of 1989 and 90. Uh, by the way, that's not us giving him the Yank nickname that was imposed on him when he landed in Ireland. Somewhat predictably. Uh, we're not sure if he still gets the, uh, still has the American the accent. The Yank treatment. Well, yeah. I'm sure he still has that. I'm just not sure if he has the American accent still. Text us your memories of Danny or any other Corkonian Americans for that matter to 5 double five one we will be speaking to him later on this morning Murph give us the current second Captain Sunday this sporting life leaderboard please I could have been a contender I could have been somebody so Gabby Logan still continues to top the pile with 88 points compiled across the three category zone of personal sports highlight overall sporting ability and current sports knowledge I award a mark out of 100 in each category I enlist the help of a team of number boffins and out of the second Captain Sunday supercomputer emerges an overall mark out of 100 David O'Darty, comedy kin of Des Bishop is second on 85 points with last week's guest guest Oscar nominated director Lenny Abramson bringing up the rear on 70 points so I'm not telling Des his business here this morning but a place on the podium is certainly within reach in fact with Lenny consigned to a battle against relegation even at this early stage I would say third is the minimum requirement <laughs> Lads you both look in particularly good form I must say this yeah. morning I don't know if it's the bank holiday I don't know if it's the holiday that you've been on yourself Ken yes. all, all week in West Kerry yeah, I was I was in West Kerry on. It was very um, it was very rejuvenative. In what way? Well, I went out to Skedig Vihil on. Oh, beautiful! And so I was on the boat out there, thinking, you know, the, here I am in the open ocean. The dark rock looms ahead. It can be a little choppy sometimes. You know, thinking about the ghosts of ninth century monks <laughs> contemplating eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, a, a sort of majestic feel to the day, mysterious, but you know, somber, heavy. Uh, until I actually got there and realized that this uh, this entire thing is swarming with these little cartoon birds. Puffins, yeah. Oh, unbelievable. I had no idea that they were there. I mean, I, I vaguely, I, I, I remembered reading something about the Star Wars thing being a bit of a scandal because of all the damage done to the nesting grounds, but I hadn't paid too much attention to it. I'm, I'm, I'm now really ashamed <laughs> to say because I've never seen such 
I thought there were beautiful. like 10 puffins on Skelly Feet or something. But. There's tens of thousands of them. They're absolutely everywhere, swarming everywhere. And they're the most, they're, they're kind of the most charming little creatures I've ever seen. I mean, they, they literally look like cartoons. They move like cartoons. They can't really walk. They can't really fly. <laughs> uh, apparently, they're quite good at swimming, but it's difficult to see them doing that. They, they managed to, to sort of pull it off. Um, it, was, it was really amazing. Uh, you know, you, they're not really scared of people. They, they would kind of avoid you a bit like a pigeon, you know. They'd sort of step out of your way if it looked like you were getting a bit too close. But many of them are just kind of, kind of looking at you inquisitively. Mm. Uh, you know what I mean? So They must be delighted with the, the uptick in tourism, Ken. I don't know if they are, actually. <laughs> Not so delighted with Chewbacca stomping around there. Well, that's the thing. Because I, 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 the, the whole place, everywhere green is, is, is just like the, the roof of a puffin burrow. So if there were people walking around and the puffins aren't there, they're not there most of the time. They fly away somewhere. So uh, you can see how a lot of damage would be done. But, you know, I was, I was watching them now and I was thinking, you know, maybe as the monks had once done before me, you know, uh, if these puffins can live in such perfect peace and harmony... Why can't we? Uh, I mean, I watch them a bit longer then. It turns out they fight all the time. <laughs> they're, actually, they're really vicious to each other. It's a balance of terror uh, on that island for, for at least the months through there. Murph, what a week it was for you. And a massive congratulations from both myself and Ken yeah. and all here at Second Captains. You know what I'm talking. You must know what I'm talking about. I was listening to your appearance on Today with Sean O'Rourke on Monday. Just one headline, the British Prime Minister Theresa May is to meet the Taoiseach and Kenny in London tomorrow. This morning she's at Stormont meeting uh, Martin McGuinness and uh, also Theresa... Sorry, I've lost the, the First Minister's name. Arlene Foster. Arlene Foster, thank you for that. Oh, what a moment. What a moment. Could you have sounded any more pleased with yourself as you dug Sean O'Rourke out of a hole there? Listen, Owen, on please, please. It's important to remember the respect that I have for Sean O'Rourke as a broadcaster and... Indeed, as a man. And I mean, it takes guts to turn around on live national radio and say, right, you're a better man than me. You have a much better understanding of the complex political situation we have in Northern Ireland. And just, you know, hand me the floor. So, you know, you might ask, what's next for me, On Well, I want the week in politics, but I will accept Oireachtas report if I can be given some assurances on, you know, job advancement. Text us on 51551. You can tweet at Second Captains or email secondcaptains at rt.e. Des Bishop is on the way. This is Second Captain Sunday. Thanks. Some early texts and tweets here. Regis says, don't forget Cork City legend John Caulfield, born in the Bronx, and Ron O'Gara, born in San Diego. Of course, Mayor of America's favourite son, Ron O'Gara, almost went to the Miami Dolphins that time as yeah. a field goal kicker. They all seem to have moved back to Cork for some reason. Yeah, it certainly wasn't a nonsense rumour that O'Gara went along with just to squeeze the IRFU for more cash. <laughs> In contract negotiations that He would never, never do that. that Danny the Yan Cullody Is Newmarket GA Club's Most famous son Says Jack In fact a lot of love For this man John Coleman says Ah the sweatbands The accent The fact he ended up In Newmarket And even managed them To win an intermediate County title Hashtag USA And John Doody says Danny the Yank A good man to drink porter Either here or abroad As I have found out To my cost Des Bishop Are you familiar With Danny the Yank And were you indeed Referred to as the Yank In your own arrival in Ireland Absolutely. Double question. <laughs> yes, uh, the, to both. you almost sounded like uh, Ray Darcy on the Blackboard Jungle there. The way he was like, and so well, that's for the second part first. Uh, well, yeah, I was aware of Danny the Yank because, uh, well, first of all, the first uh, the first two GA matches I ever watched were uh, when I first arrived in Ireland, and I saw Cork win the double. 
uh, I was not aware that Danny the Yank was a Yank. I, in fact, he wasn't referred to as Danny the Yank uh, on RT's pr- uh, production. But then uh, everybody loved telling me. I had this great teacher, Jim Ryan. Maybe he'll even listen to it. A great guy. Uh, it was his first year of teaching, and he taught Irish, and I was exempt. So somehow I don't think I felt like a student to him. So we used to just like hang out, and he would give me lifts to Middleton to go see my dad's uncles. And uh, he was like, "Oh, there's a there's a player like Danny the Yank. He's an American." So suddenly I. I was like, I was okay. I could one day be a yeah. true Irishman. Uh, so, yes, I was definitely aware of Danny the Yank. And you definitely got called the Yank yourself. Oh, oh, I was the Yank. The amazing thing is that uh, I was not aware that the Yank, like, be, that you that Americans were still called Yanks. Mm. Because uh, traditionally in America, Northerners were called Yanks during the Civil War, yeah. <laughs> which was a while ago. And uh, so I didn't know that internationally Americans were known as Yanks. So then immediately my nickname became The Yank, which there's just something about the definite article going in front of your, uh, yeah. going in front of your name. It's like The Yank, like, go get The Yank, open the box. It's not like uh, they're expecting another one along anytime soon. You no, know, you were The it, Yank. But here's the amazing thing. All the teachers called me The Yank too. <laughs> <laughs> like that was so weird like the teachers would be like you know go get the yank or like yank you know and did I, you have to uh, to study at all any stage the field I didn't have to study the field I had to watch it all the time to so I knew that people were out to get me uh, <laughs> yeah. no I, I, first of all I love the field I watched it like a gazillion times but at times people would say to me go home yank like a good little yank go home so I had to I had to deal with that you know, Bishop Eamon Casey blew up and the field got massive within my first year in Ireland. So <laughs> both dramatic. my last name and my nationality were like shot with <laughs> a, a massive Irish news. Well, you are home now in Ireland, Des, uh, for the Vodafone a Comedy loaded, Festival. A loaded statement. Yeah. <laughs> you are home, Des. <laughs> this is home, Des. <laughs> just want to reaffirm. <laughs> you're you're reaffirm. welcome here. You're yeah. very welcome, yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, you're, you're here for the Vodafone Comedy Festival, in part. I, yeah. uh, the final show, you had your final gig last night. How'd it go? Nice crowds over the last few days? Oh, great, man. Yeah. The, that festival's great hanging out in the park and doing the whole thing was great uh, the visiting a lot of the visiting comics were awesome and uh, great time that's it, why I'm, I'm a little <laughs> I sound a little bit like I have the first hangover I've had in 21 years a <laughs> L- little croaky it's 10 years I think it's the 10th anniversary this year of the of that festival in one of the early years Louis C.K. opened for you I heard Louis C.K. now oh, for people who aren't aware one of the one of the biggest comics now in the US you're bringing this up I've only told the American comedians that story like 25 times this weekend <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told this story in so long so Louis C.K. who by the way I, I knew him already he'd been to Kilkenny twice and uh, I was pretty friendly with him uh, he was like people he wasn't supporting me like the, the story has evolved into he was supporting me but he was just on first on that bill and it was it was his first night in Dublin and it, it was a bit of a people were there to see me to a degree it was before he blew up and uh, yeah he just got he was doing well for five minutes got a heckle kind of lost the crowd it wasn't the terrible death that he said it was he wrote about it he blogged about that at the time yes and now I'm infamous (laughs) you're the guy (laughs) I got a great tweet one time about a year and a half ago Irish people got wind of this thing and some guy tweeted Louis C.K. opened up for Des Bishop that's like the Beatles opening up for Aslan. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was different times. Uh, so, what did he suffer? I'd love his money now. <laughs> <laughs> did he suffer in that gig for being American and not being in tune with the Irish audience? I know this is something that you are exploring a lot at the moment. How different? How different is an audience in Ireland compared to an audience that you face in the US? For example, well, I mean, it, it wasn't why Louis C.K. had a big gig, but I mean. It's hard to know because I see like a lot of American comics this weekend just ripping it with the stuff that they do. And I'm doing 
like my current show, Great Matters, like all I wrote all the material while I was gigging in New York, and I'm doing all the bits I do in New York when I do it here, but they're always thirty percent better because I can just tag it up with little extra bits. And like, even though I still have an American accent, all my life experiences since fourteen are here. Mm. You know, like you know, girlfriends, Debs. I didn't go to my Debs, but you know what I mean. Like all those sort of formative things that happen, they all happen here. So I'm just so much more familiar with all the things that you would throw on it. Particularly this show that I'm doing is very nostalgic. So the nostalgia for me is in Ireland. So when I come back to Ireland, I do that bit. They become five minutes longer because you're just chucking things on. Even just down to mentioning Telecom Aaron and realizing that the words Telecom Aaron are now nostalgic. <laughs> you know, and you, you're doing a bit about phones and you know the difference between phones back in the day and phones now. And you say Telecom Aaron and then people laugh and you're yeah. like, God, even Telecom Aaron. That's a laugh now. Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty incredible moment in history to have spent time back in the U.S. The you did a bit a while back, a few years ago, about. Obama when he was elected the sort of emotion that you felt around that like there was, this, there was obviously the whole world felt quite a lot of hope or a lot of the world did anyway can, can you tell us about that when Obama was elected God it's hard to remember that emotion now that we know that it was all yeah. a con no I'm just kidding about it. but it, it's it's hard to look back now because the hope is, is gone and he was just a solid you know he was a solid leader he was he was Dennis Irwin you know <laughs> just like not as exciting as we thought but he got the job done every time uh, so I mean to that time 2008 I was here I was here right and uh, oh yeah it was a great night I cried a bit uh, in Rialto watching his speech uh, but uh, I'm so wrapped up in now and what's going on now that it's hard to remember that time you know like if you think in 2008 all we had was hope and in 2016 all we have is fear and dread <laughs> it is I, I actually can't remember what that felt like I, I, I think Obama did a great job and I think particularly the last year and a half people are noticing that wow this guy actually did an amazing job and look at the crap that's coming our way now but it wasn't what it's felt like at the time you yeah. know so it is hard to remember the hope when the hope is gone Michael Moore has taken some more of the hope away I don't know if you read his article this I read week it. yeah five reasons why Trump will oh win God. What? I, well, he, I just hope he's wrong you know he says let's face it our biggest problem here isn't Trump it's Hillary she's usually unpopular nearly 70% of all voters think she's untrustworthy and dishonest do you agree with Michael Moore on, well, on the Hillary point well, yeah, but I don't know. I, 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 for some, I'm not so sure why why she's considered so much more dishonest. To me, she's just like career politician, very typical. And I think it's the it's the flavor of the day, isn't it? Anti-establishment, moving away from career politicians, you know. And I, so I just think America is like the UK with Brexit, and you know Ireland to a degree, like more independence. Like there is a move away from the establishment, quote unquote, towards billionaires. Yeah, well, you know, that, that, the opposite of it is ridiculous that he would be the protest vote against the establishment as this charlatan. <laughs> but I think, so Hillary has that. And then on top of it, she's been in the game so long and she's had a few scandals and she's a woman. And I, I do think, I, I, I hate being the guy to say it because I know I'll be shot down, but I think there's a lot of misogyny with towards Hillary. And I think, unfortunately, she's like, she's a little robotic in her cadence with her speaking, which also puts people off. So she just has a lot working against her. I just don't understand why it is that she gets kind of tagged with things like um, untrustworthy, dishonest, you know, uh, not so attractive voice. Yeah, that was said. Some of the reaction to the speech was along those lines, wasn't it? The the not so attractive voice, the lecturing tone was another one. She needs to smile more. I mean, has everyone completely forgotten the context here? I mean, it's a, I mean, Donald Trump as an, as an, you know, orator is like a guy who forgets what he said 30 seconds ago and, and repeats himself and, no, and talks nonsense. He is nonsense. actually a terrible orator. But it's I, utter nonsense. Yeah, it's nonsense and I think 
but he's always trying to be funny and I think people think like it's great crack you know mm. yeah, it's weird man like America is so divided I, like, I even start whispering when I'm talking about it uh, people hate Hillary to the point where they get really angry it's like, well, he'd be better than her. And I'm like, I'm the opposite of you. I'm like, anything is better than that guy. And they're like, well, he's a businessman. We need a businessman in the White House. And it's like, he's not even a great businessman. He's just like a lucky showman. Can you have proper conversations about it? As in, are there people you know and respect who support Trump? Or are the only conversations I you're having about Trump with, with, with people like that? A couple of cousins. Okay, what are those conversations? Why do they, why, what's the their The conversations logic? are along the lines of, man, I'm so disappointed in you as a human being. <laughs> but, but... <laughs> No, they think he's for them, you know? They think he's for them. They think Hillary's part of the establishment, and they're union guys. And the funny thing is, they work in unions. They're like, uh, you, you know, union tradesmen, very different unions. And for some reason, they think that he's on the side of the working man, and she's not, because she's wrapped up with the Goldman Sachs stuff, and she's just wrapped up in the whole thing, which is, we got shafted in 2008, and they caused it, and they didn't suffer, and she's part of that cabal that helped that to happen. And mm. that is the narrative that you see from Russia uh, West. So she's that's the way people perceive her. And what what can you do? People are looking for like that populist guy to 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 shake things up. They want to shake up Washington. They use that language like they you know he's not part of the Beltway, which is like some term for uh, Washington insiders. And that's what he's representing to them. And and the end. Oh, I forgot to tell you. And they're racist, <laughs> and he a racist loves Donald Trump. Do they? Uh, do those conversations get heated with your cousins? Nah, because I don't want to fall out with them, so I just don't talk mm. about it too long. I learned like many many family parties longer from nine eleven on. I learned that it's better to not express my liberal European ways around my family. Will Hillary just kill Donald Trump in the debates, this or, is or does I'm that wondering. even matter anymore? Well, this is this is what I'm I'm wondering because you know, she she should. But will she? It's difficult to, I think, argue against someone who doesn't argue, who's impervious to facts and logic. Mm. You know, you could make all these points and they just bounce off. What are you going to say? He's just going to try and insult her, you know? In many ways, Hillary Clinton is sort of Donald Trump's nightmare. A woman who's far more, <laughs> who's far more intelligent, far more knowledgeable, far more experienced, and has surely the capacity to make mince meat of him in front of the entire country watching three times. That could happen. She could, you know, she could feasibly destroy him. I could see that happening. But I wonder if he'll maybe just manage to sort of ruffle her feathers a little bit, sort of insult her, make the whole thing ridiculous, make it into a joke. She's, she, she is capable of feeling embarrassment and sort of, you know, panic about this. Is this, this looks ridiculous. I don't, I don't feel, I don't think that he is. I think he's immune to all that. All right, we've got a text in here, 51551 from James. He says, congrats on your Sean O'Rourke impact. Murph, to take it back to that. Not since your old appearances in Blackboard Jungle have I heard such a grasp of politics and current affairs together on the national broadcaster that's the comedy box off there's the politics too but you know why you're here we all know why you're here you can tweet us at second captains up next on second captain sunday we get stuck into this sporting life of des bishop rte radio one second captain first captain whatever and your chosen category uh sport sport right good luck to kieran murphy taking on sport for saint charlotte's Kieran Murphy of Second Captain Sunday, Radio 1 at 10 on a Sunday morning. Sorry, I've lost the First Minister's name. Arlene Foster. Arlene, 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 Arlene Foster. Arlene Foster, thanks for that. 
Okay, Murph, we get the message. You dug Sean O'Rourke out of a hole live on air on oh, his no big deal, political man. knowledge. No big deal. What are you it's more proud of, the Blackboard Jungle achievements or that more recent moment? Well, it just it, it feels more recent, so I'm probably going to say Sean O'Rourke. I mean, it was literally the first time my mother was able to say, I'm proud of you. You've done. You've broadcasted something that I'm actually proud of. So Text into us, 51551, second Sunday with Owen Murph and Ken, the wonderful Des Bishop is in studio with I us. I was in Newstalk. Yeah. I was like, I was, I was wondering why Pat Kenny was in such a bad mood. Well. And it was because you got his rival out of a jam. <laughs> he thought it was going to be his big moment. <laughs> He's actually on holiday. He wasn't there, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Des is ready and waiting to let the world in on his sporting passions oh, and yes. sporting ability, Des, which we'll, we'll get to. Your early days in Flushing, Queens, it was l- largely a football house, soccer house, that is? Yeah, it was a soccer neighborhood, you know. It was immigrant neighborhood. Our house was a big soccer house. Me, me personally, I wasn't that into it. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't great at it. Uh, my brother was like a soccer prodigy. Yeah, he's right? got trials at trials at Arsenal under fourteen. Right. Yeah, wow. Steve Burtonshire brought him over, and uh, he was the head selector. Because I remember I moved to when after I moved to Ireland, you know, I, you'd see football like on the TV on the regular. And I remember one time I was like, hey, Steve Burtonshire they're in the stands, and I was like, Wow, that's the guy. <laughs> that is the he guy. Was in my head. <laughs> yeah, and I've since looked back on the letters, like you know, and you can see the letters to my dad. It's like, uh, yeah, we're we're bringing over the lad. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, what we're bringing we've got over it the, done yeah. there is we've invited uh, the lad over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, he met Ian Wright and Tony Adams, and uh, that's pretty like, cool. like, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, soccer was our thing. So you came over to Ireland. We'll get into the hurling, which I'm fascinated by in a few minutes. We'll I tried a little bit of hurling. You, oh, you actually tried to play it. Yeah, I I would always try out for the team in St. Peter's, which is hilarious because like Rory McCarthy was in my class. He would win an All Ireland '96. <laughs> like he was only five four years away from winning an All Ireland, and He's I'd been be early with you. I, yeah, and, and, and I wouldn't even know what I was doing, you know. But uh, but I loved it. I wish there was a little regret. Was I, I think hurling has to be you know like bred into. It. Although mind you, like I, I, Sean Oak probably started later, and he ended up like some sort of you know hurling <laughs> genius. But anyway, I, I wasn't a natural hurler, but I, I did love playing it. Your connection to Cork GA is it fair to describe it as a, as a deep connection? I mean, I guess so. You know, I uh, I have a deep connection. Like, it became part of my Irishness, you know? My dad... It goes back to my dad, really. Like, like I mentioned before that my dad had, like, a bit of an English accent. I think he's like me, in a way. We like, a confused identity. So for him... It was all about Cork. I mean, there's some other darker stuff with my dad about why he loved Cork so much, but, like, he just... He talked about Cork in a way that was almost, like, magical, you know? So, when I came to Ireland, I started going to Middleton, you know, I sort of, like, Cork then became my place. Even though I was in boarding school in Wexford, it's like, I'm a, I'm a Cork man in my, in my mind and my heart. I don't know, like, that Cork team... You know, in the mid two thousands, like I, I, I was like a proper full time Irishman by then, and I was just so I loved. By that stage, I just was like so obsessed with Gaelic games, mm. uh, and it was just so nice to just like really come of age as a GA man in my mind at a time where Cork like reigns supreme. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I went to UCC and I started comedy when I was in Cork and I got so like, like I stopped drinking and like had this like rebirth in Cork. So like for me, there's a lot of depth going on with with Cork. So, yes, I have a deep connection to the Cork GA. Just on your dad there, you just you touched on darker themes, but essentially, I don't know how much you want to get into on a Sunday morning at a very tough time in his in his life as as a child. He spent uh, quite a lot of time in Cork. So that's how he 
maybe established uh, this romanticized version of of what Cork was all about. Yeah, I mean, like his mother was unfortunately his mother was paranoid schizophrenic, but she's diagnosed later. But there's a lot of abuse that went down, and like it's 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 not her fault. Like I talked to relations about it, and it's like it's so sad that in a way, like nowadays she would just be treated and be fine, you know. But but she she it was bad, you know, like like as bad as a childhood could be, you know, and. When my dad was in Cork, like during World War Two and at other times, it was just idyllic for him. And he was wild and he was being raised by his uncles. And, you know, they were wild, too. And they didn't have kids. And they let my dad run a bit free <laughs> for a young fella, like, yeah. you know. And then his grandfather, uh, like his ashes are spread in Ballycotton because his grandfather, uh, like, used to go there to do, like, agricultural deals. But, like, while the business was going on, he would just tell my dad to just go off and run around. So my dad would be, like, running around in the, the hills looking out over the lighthouse in Ballycotton. And just, like, when he was older then, those were those were the things he would look back on in his childhood as, like, the best times of his life. So even for my dad, it was, like, a, like a, a cork fantasy in his mind. So, yeah, so it was, like, deep in us. My favorite part of your book is possibly, my dad was nearly James Bond, is possibly the photograph of the two of you at the... All-Ireland Final 2005 All-Ireland was it? Yourself and yeah, your dad? Yeah, 2005 I don't want to mess up the year and the second cap 2005 show. Don't worry Dave uh, but, We got uh, your back Yeah so that was a great moment I uh, I scored that those particular tickets I got I got tickets off Sean O in 2004 and then I got I got tickets in, in 2005 off of uh, no no actually I think 2005 Sean O got me the tickets and it doesn't matter and uh, it was like real last minute I called my dad on the Saturday afternoon and so it was like the morning uh, in in New York, and I was like, Dad, I got a, I got an extra ticket, man. I was like, if I can get you a flight, it was the early days of booking online. I was like, if I can get you a flight tonight, because you have you leave that night, will you get on the plane? And he's like, Oh yeah, man, I'll do it, man. And uh, <laughs> so I got the flight, and like out of nowhere, I'm picking up my dad on the Sunday morning, you know, and. Uh, I'll just, I'll never forget it, man. We were like walking through town on the way to the online. And he's like, I can't believe it. Like, he couldn't believe it. He's like going to watch Cork in the, he's never been to Cork Park in his life. Like, I'll never forget it. I mean, like, I have to say, I had Sean Oak up on a pedestal already. You know, there's just a lot of things about him that, like, I, I just thought he was like, quite the character. Uh, but for me, as like, like a foreigner, in Ireland that had been a, that had been adapted uh, that that to, to watch him be the guy that would go up there and he gave the speech in Irish the funny thing is like I hadn't a word of Irish at the time <laughs> I like I, I I just thought it was so amazing like the way that he said it like I now know that he said it's a long road from Fiji to Sydney to Park Croke. like now I know his poor father yeah. you know like <laughs> I know what he said now. but at the time all I knew was Up the, the Rebels yeah. <laughs> he said, when he said Up the Rebels everyone was like Up the Rebels you know, like, 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 you know chaos in the place but I'm standing there with my dad he like me is this uh, foreigner and now he's like at that major moment like Family wise It was just An incredible moment And uh, Irish identity wise I mean I don't know How much you want to talk about it But for me It was very special Well no we do want to talk About Irish identity And I'm delighted to say We can do it with Sean O'Gall Halpy And Sean O'Gall How are you? How are you lads? How are you keeping? That's who Can I talk to boy? Good come on Come on I'm just too hain You see our relationship Has evolved since then <laughs> <laughs> But uh, anyway Sean O'Gall Can we take you back To that speech And uh, walking up the steps The Hogan stand About it Were you nervous Delivering it? Of course, yeah. I mean, it's not like that you're talking to anyone. Like, you're talking in front of 80,000 people. You have the president of, uh, of Ireland, you know, uh, in your presence. You have the Uchtaran and Kumulukashkel and other dignitaries. So, um, 
Of, of course, you want to nail, nail the speech as best as you can, right? So there's, a, there's an element to that. Um, I recall walking up the steps, like, and I was trying to hold back the tears because basically it brings me back to 1990. Um, my 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 first impressions of Cork GA was I was I was only two years in the country in Cork at that stage, right? Having lived in Sydney, and anyone that knows my background, I never really wanted to be in Cork, right? Do you know, kind of, I thought my life was in Sydney. All of a sudden, I'm just lifted out of Sydney. Landed in Cork, and I like I rebelled for the first couple of years being in Cork, right? But one of the key moments in my life at that stage as a 13 year old was I see the Lee McCarthy for the first time coming back to the modern school. That was double school I went to, and it was the year Cork did the double, and Tomas Mulcahy was the captain, and he brought the cup, the Lee McCarthy, to the school, and. That probably was the vision for me to to chase my dream at that stage. And then you fast forward like kind of 15 years after that. And then there I am walking up the steps and it was like a dream fulfilled. So basically I'm trying to hold back the tears and I'm talking to myself, yeah, you get your act together now. You're going to have to deliver a speech here. So, um, um, but it was fine, um, you know, kind of. I, I I got through the right. Once you get through the first couple of words, <laughs> you're fine. Was and it was it important what, for you to do it, Oscar Elga, as well? Ah, uh, yeah. We should fear hawk up my um. See, I had I had gone to Irish speaking schools above everything else, um, especially that. But my parents, right, kind of the reason why they brought us back from Sydney to Ireland was to experience the Irish culture and everything that was good about Irish, and then to the forefront of that amongst Gaelic games was the Irish language. Um, see, it, it goes deeper into that. My dad grew up in Ross Lane, Fermanagh. He, he he didn't speak Irish growing up, so he felt like a big part of his identity was lost um, when he was working in Sydney and across Australia for years on the billing sites where he worked with other nationalities. They thought he was English because he spoke English. All the other nationalities had their own language, so I used to drive him crazy. So, like, somewhere in his head, he says, look, if I ever had kids, I'm going to make sure they speak his native language, which was Irish. So, basically, when when we came to Ireland, we went into, you know, Irish-speaking schools, which wasn't kind of cheap at the time. Like, you know, there wasn't much Irish-speaking schools there, but he did it. So, it was, yeah, look, it, it, it was a no-brainer. Um... I was going to deliver that speech in Irish. And still to this day, right, people mightn't remember my name, but they'll pull me on the street and they'd say, Conasatartu. Uh, they seem to resemble me with speaking Irish for some strange reason. I can tell you, they all remember your name, bro. I don't know what world you're living in, but you're probably one of the most known GA guys on the planet. They all remember your name. For the wrong reasons, Des. Uh, <laughs> Des, tell us how powerful. I, lo- I love you for those reasons, Sean Oak. <laughs> Screw the establishment, Sean Oak. Screw the establishment. How powerful was it for you? You, you talked about the fact that you had come from you come from America. Sean Oak had come from Sydney, you know, uh, via Fiji and all the rest of it. How important a moment is it for? Was that do you think for how people view? The diaspora, people living no, away like, from like seriously, Ireland. I just listened to Sean Oak talking that. I was actually feeling a little emotional because he was talking about uh, that moment of the cork double, you know, like like what, like the the cup comes up to to the man, and like suddenly he understands what it is to be Irish, or he becomes he's no longer like rebelling against being in Cork, and like it just shows the power of the GA without like you know being like uh, you know overly emotional, just that sense that you can feel like you belong, 
you know and it was never an issue before in Ireland right because there's nobody coming here everybody's leaving you know and Sean came I mean I, I speak for myself but I'm kind of like relating it back to Sean but like Sean comes here he looks like a foreigner too he looks more he looks less Irish than me I'll tell you that right now you know and and there he is suddenly you know all these years later walking up like holding back the tears about to give that speech the speech that says I am the king of Ireland like, <laughs> like for that moment you were the king and there he is with his like half an afro a half row he's up there with the yeah. half row giving the speech in Irish you know and like it always bugged me that people were like you're not Irish you know and I was like listening to that thinking well if if this guy is not Irish then there is no such thing as a real Irishman the whole thing has been a con you know <laughs> so that is powerful but even the sense that Sean O could feel that when he's 13 and uh, Mulcahy comes up you know with the cup and then suddenly he goes like I'm an Irishman like that is powerful and then you throw the Irish language on top of it and you say these things actually do matter <sighs> like it always bothers me when people are like the Irish language is useless it's like well it's useless to you because you know you're, you're confident in who you are but for somebody like Sean O'Gohalpin or myself you speak the Irish language and you're involved in the GAA and suddenly you feel like you belong <laughs> you know and belonging is like a quintessential human thing that you need if you don't feel it you can be suicidal so that's a pretty powerful thing to provide like the GAA and the Irish language oh absolutely when you were growing up in Sydney Sean O'G in those early years how much of a connection was there with home was there a connection with the All-Ireland final day for example yeah, um, like, like to be honest, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be truthful to you, right? We knew that we had an Irish connection that Dad was from Ireland, but we never really believed the place existed because basically he'd be on about <laughs> things, you know, that he used to do at home and kind of. Um, but living in Sydney, it was very hard to grasp it because you didn't see it in your every, you know, everyday life. Um, but there was only two events I remember growing up. That led me to believe that maybe maybe that is not spoofing here, like you know what I mean? Maybe maybe such a place does exist, mm-hmm. right? The seventeenth of March every year, um, if I fell in the school there, we never went to school, which we were delighted about, because basically dad would dress us up in green, white and orange. <laughs> we like dressed up as leprechauns going into town centre in Sydney because you'd have the Patrick's Day parade. So that was that was one moment. And the other moment uh was the first and third Sunday in September. See, the time difference is Sydney's 9 hours ahead, right? Um, at that time of the year. So it'd be midnight. It'd be, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be half 12 at night, right? We'd be woken up by Dad. And he'd have the radio on, sitting with a can of beer, listening to a game, right? And he'd, he'd make us sit down and listen to it. And one vivid memory of that is... I'll, I don't know the words of the song, but it's obviously Oran Avian, do you know what I mean, being played before, and he'd make a stand, right? Like, all of this is oblivious to us, like, but it's like, basically, um, I think it was a way of Dad at that time trying to transcend himself as if he was in Core Park or Ireland, do you know, for that, for that magical hour. And then after that, then life carries on in Sydney. Well. <laughs> so do you accept, so, yeah, would you agree with Des that you lifting the trophy and speaking as you did was a big moment, even aside, maybe it's hard when you're in the middle of it yourself, but would you have felt that it was a big moment in the country, if that's a fair question? I, I, I never really saw it as a big moment in the country, you know, um, I just saw it as a big moment in my life and uh, and for Cork and for Cork people because basically, as Des would rightfully say, like, can I... Um, 
there's only one thing that really makes Cork people tick, right, and get them going, and it's, it's, it's the fabric of Cork society, and then let's call a spade a spade. There is a lot of kind of sporting teams in Cork, but when the Cork horrors are up and going in the boat and when they're winning, the atmosphere is electric, the place is buzzing. But to be honest, did I think that it would have an impact on the rest of the country? No, personally, I didn't, like, you know, but um, you soon realise afterwards that, you know, um, when you go to other counties in Ireland, you meet other people and they'll always kind of, you know, they'll always bring up the speech and, you know, that was a great thing you did there, so... Yeah, Which is nice to hear. No, nice to hear and really nice to hear it this morning on Second Captain Sunday. Sean Og, it's been amazing talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the time. Lovely stuff there from Sean Og, I think. Des, did, you mentioned that you hadn't actually learned the language at that stage. Obviously went on to do that uh, documentary series in the name of the father, which was mm. brilliant. Did Sean Oak's speech in some way inspire you to learn the language? No, no, I'm no, jumping that, ahead of a good few steps there. No, I? no, no, but it's a, a longer story, right. unrelated. No, but my my dedication to the cork hurlers, like it it, 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 it almost became like too deep in the sense that I totally backed them in the in the strike, and I remember one one snowy morning, literally it was snowing. I drove all the way from Dublin on my own in the car like nobody knew I was going I drove all the way from Dublin to go down to one of the Cork protests where we would meet uh, have a have a, like a have a rally and then go to the football match in Parky Cueve and walk at half time in protest at what was going on and uh, I mean I guess that didn't end well but uh, it was uh it was I, I was I was deep in it what about your rugby playing background in Blackrock College I think this is a less known part of your background maybe yeah I mean I don't talk a lot about you, know. you don't talk about the black <laughs> it's funny because Leo Cullen was at the festival uh, and yeah. uh, I met him and he actually said it. he's like he called you, you up on it yeah he was like you don't uh, talk about black rock much <laughs> <laughs> and I was like yeah that's because it doesn't fit my street image <laughs> but uh, you know it, another great regret I was like good at rugby so you did partake yeah I was actually good at it like like I was I, I was playing rugby for six months when I went to Black Rock College, I played a, a tiny bit with the Wexford Wanderers, and then I'm in Black Rock, like with guys that would go on to play for Ireland, right? And uh, I was like holding my own, you know. I only got one game with the with the SCT, but like it was a pretty high level. Quite an achievement to make it into the team after six months. So, is that your sporting highlight of your well, own it's career? Quite an achievement. Now that I get to talk about it on the radio, like exactly. it's a thing, <laughs> like it's an actual thing. You finally found a very niche show that allows you <laughs> yeah, to talk about yeah. these things. You remember that time, man? You remember that time I played with the best? Is man. that your all-time sporting highlight? No, my, the most, the best achievement of my sporting life is at the, at the Kilkenny Comedy Festival. There's a there's a football match every year and it gets quite serious. You get a lot of people, like thousands of people, come out to watch it. And it's the rest of the world versus Ireland, and the rest of the world is always a bit short. So I always play for the rest of the world. But being that I'm the only rest of the world team member that lives in Ireland full time, I have to live with the loss, or you know, for the whole year <laughs> like, amongst these Irish. You know, oh, you're so competitive, Des, but they never shut up about the match. So like, you know, they're pretty competitive too. Like David O'Doherty's secretly competitive. Anyway, PJ Gallagher was in goal for Ireland. I toe poked it under PJ Gallagher into the net. Why is it my why is it my greatest sporting achievement? Because TV3 News were doing a piece about the cat laughs and they filmed the match and on TV3 News that night they put my goal on the TV like match of the day and uh, Barry Murphy came up to me that night who was the comedy godfather 
right? And he was like, I'm so jealous of you. You've lived my dream. Your goal was on the news. So the godfather of comedy was impressed. Wow, that is impressive. I can see Murph furiously recalculating his scores here. We're at that stage already, man. We're at this stage already. We've been talking a long time. There's other shows to come, you know? We can't can't just hog (laughs) hog Radio 1 here all morning. The time has come to rank this sporting life of Des Bishop. You don't understand. I could have had class. You don't have stars in this game, Mrs. Weaver. What do you have, then? People like me. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Right, so here goes. The current leaderboard has Gabby Logan at number one with 88 points out of 100. David O'Darty is next with 85 points. And last week's contestant, Lenny Fast Eddie Abrahamson, <laughs> is bringing up the rear with 70 points. Who do you really want to Lenny finish Lenny Abrahamson? Ahead? Come on. That guy never played a sport in his life. Okay, so you want to beat him. Okay, that's all right. Well, the categories are as follows. The sporting highlight of your career, your current sporting ability, and your overall sports knowledge. So the first thing we must do is uh, choose the sporting highlight of your career. You've you've already let us know. I mean, it, it there was quite a few options here. You have, in no particular order, need an ageing Connemara Gaelic footballer up the arse in, in the name of the father. Locked down the scrum for the Black, uh, Black Rock SCT, as you told us. Went for on strike with the Cork Hurlers and played soccer as a young lad in Queens. But does it get any better than scoring that goal during the annual Kilkenny Catlass Festival soccer game being featured on the TV3 news that gets you 80 points would have been great if you got the footage but anyway uh, listen either way your current sporting ability all of that youthful endeavour that I've just outlined is now being channeled into the nobler more dignified pursuits of squash and golf we hear uh, Des is not 68 years old no he's just a distinguished gentleman everyone so listen in the 70s squash was hot you know don't, <laughs> don't be judging me by your 2016 standards man <laughs> so golf, Pat Kenny play squash that is hot <laughs> golf gets you about 7 points but squash will get you let's say 63 points so 70 in total and on we go to your overall sporting just knowledge. before we get to that I can see how stressed out Des here is here because I think he knows he's going to beat Lenny at this stage <laughs> I think he knows Gabby's going to be tough to catch it's just O'Darty David O'Darty fellow comedian that's the man he wants will we ever have a guest with a sports knowledge that spans Keith Hernandez Daryl Strawberry and a tiny helmeted goal adored Joe Dean I for one don't think so so I'm going to give you 80 transatlantic points for that which adds up to an overall score of 77 points really and that's a ridiculous anyway we'll discuss place. it later <laughs> I rounded, protest I even protest me and Sean Ogre protesting I even, <laughs> I even rounded up for you we're getting Donalogue too <laughs> third place in our leaderboard for Desbish Desbish you're not happy with that score of course I'm not happy with the scoreline. Well, you've been discrimination ab- against Cork people like the whole time. <laughs> you've been an absolutely amazing guest this morning. Great having you in. Thank you. Des, a round of applause for Des, please. Thank you. Yeah, Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z there to keep with our New York theme on Second Captain Sunday this morning. And what a night for Carl Frampton in that city last night. He beat Leo Santa Cruz in a thriller to become just the second Irish fighter to win world titles at two different weights. A fight that was attended by our guest from last week. You might remember Lenny Abramson was talking to us about this. He wanted to learn a little more about the world of professional boxing. I think he uh, he started off with a pretty <laughs> good fight. He started with a pretty good fight there, I think. Shane O'Kelly says, shout out to the Jackal's terrific performance stateside. Rua says Frampton deserves a hell of a lot more coverage in the Irish media probably our best athlete right now yeah he was absolutely incredible I dragged myself out of bed at 4am to watch again yeah. well strictly not out of bed I mean I, I opened my eyes and watched it on my iPad in bed right. before going straight back to sleep afterwards was it worth it? but yeah absolutely it was, it was an incredible performance but the, the thing my biggest takeaway was that the worst seat in the house at a Carl Frampton world title fight is actually ringside you pay all this money you uh, are probably a celebrity to get those tickets and then you have to sit behind Barry McGuigan and you don't see a single punch being thrown because McGuigan is up the whole time. It was incredible. At the end, he's praying, he's bawling, crying, he's throwing every punch with Frampton. So it was an amazing moment. But he didn't sit down. 
I don't think he sat down very often. Anytime he was shown, he that was crack- standing right up there. It doesn't go down well at GA games, but down them umbrellas. So I mean, I can only presume that someone was shouting something similar <laughs> at uh, Barry McGuigan. Yeah, it's Barry McGuigan. I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll yeah. take him on. People of Cork, if you enjoyed Des Bishop as much as we did this morning, you should really go and see him in person tonight. He's doing a gig at the Everyman in Cork City. So get yourself along to that. Mairead Hurdy says she's proper bawling her uh, bawling my lamps out listening to Des and Sean Ogle helping talking about Irish language and culture and GA on second captains. I've seen Pat Kenny playing squash and Des is right. It is hot, <laughs> says PJ. Thank you for sharing, PJ. Uh, where are we here? If you've any further details, please let us know. Farrell says, I think Sean Ogan Des should have a show. Maybe something like Daniel O'Donnell's B&B tour of the country. That's a, that's a could, really proper that good idea. That, um, I mean, well, do we have that person's name? We do. It's can we Farrell. Steal- can we steal his idea? We can steal the idea. It's ours now. Yeah, as we've been lawyer hearing, up on. As we've been hearing throughout the program, Des Bishop isn't the first Yank to land in Cork and make his mark. The great Cork football team of the late eighties, early nineties had in its midfield a big man born and reared in the US who only arrived in the country at eighteen years of age. I'm glad to say we're joined right now on Second Captain Sunday by Danny the Yankunity. Danny, thanks so much for chatting to us. We might as well get straight to it. How the hell did you go from growing up in San Francisco to winning All Irelands with Cork? Yeah, I guess a bit lucky. In fairness. <laughs> Um, I moved back here when I was 18 and uh, kind of took it up then. Like there was, there was only three teams in San Francisco at that stage and there were men's teams. But I played with them when, when I was 15. So it kind of started from there and my dad had a huge interest in it. And he used to take us out to Golden Gate Park, myself and my brother, uh, playing, playing Gaelic. So you're pretty connected to it over there. I mean, were you close to, did you ever get to see any of the big name players or anything like that? Well, what, what happened back then was the All-Stars, when they used to come out on tour, they used to stay in people's house. So we had a, a full house. Uh, Billy Morgan stayed with us, Ray Cummins, Jimmy Barry Murphy, Connie Hartnett. And our house anyway was kind of a, an open house that there was constantly <laughs> someone from Ireland staying with us. It's not a bad way to get introduced. So you obviously had this kind of romanticised vision, did you? Of what, you were 18 when you came back, you came to Cork. Yeah, 18 straight into the into the GEA there I assume was there a fascination with this American kid coming over who was able to play a little bit yeah I started I started playing here with, with Newmarket and you know I played a few games with him and, and things kind of went well with me and of course a few phone calls went up to Cork then and I was dragged up and I, I got brought into the into the under 21 teams I got trials with him and eventually ended up making it uh, how long did it take you to lose the accent then Danny because it sounds like you're <laughs> Cork born and reared <laughs> well 82 is a long time <laughs> <laughs> they tell me it's 50-50 still <laughs> well I don't know about that now I mean who, so who's responsible for the Yank then as a as a nickname I mean it, it's it, I've heard much worse GA nicknames the Yank isn't bad as they go Michal O'Moriarty started that and it, it's kind of stuck since really as in yeah. an, in a radio commentary in in a radio yeah 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 that's that's how that started now <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it's great. As you said, there could be a lot worse. <laughs> and there was a lot of worse things I was called on the pitch. Yeah. Is there any fear that you're going to get stopped, you know, going to stop being called the Yank? I mean, as you say, it has been 33 years now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, at some stage, you're, I, I, you're, you surely you must be accepted into the into the fold rather than this Yank business. Well, no, I'm still the Yank, but <laughs> I, 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 think, I think I'm a patty now, so... I think I think I think they they take me as a local now. You're very modest, Danny, to say that you were lucky to get involved, but that was a hell of a Cork team. Uh, so you obviously exhibited quite quite a few qualities to get in there. And I know you started the 1990 final against Meath. Those games now against Meath back then are remembered as I'm going to use the term physical. Uh, what I really mean is filthy. 
<laughs> Danny, what, 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 what were they like to be involved in? I wouldn't say that. They, 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 they were tough, and, and uh, I'd say at the time, the, the two teams didn't get on too well. But since Lord of Mercy John Curran's passed away, a lot of them came down, and we've, we've gotten quite friendly with them. And, you know, but at the time, it was, it was about winning, and we, we were all focused on, on one thing. Do you know, I think I think now I think players have more chance to meet each other. Where then we just got on on the bus onto the train and back down to Cork. You know, did it live up to everything you'd expected when you'd been in San Francisco, coming over to Cork and playing for the county? Yeah, it, it, it's funny. Like I mean, all my friends were, were talking about winning Super Bowls and, and and stuff, but I I wanted to come to Ireland. Well, the whole family wanted to move back, so when we moved back, I wanted to come here and I I, I wanted to win in All Ireland. And as I said, I was lucky. I worked hard at it, and you know, like Billy Morgan was 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 the key. I think he 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 combined us, and he he was a super coach, and he he helped me a lot as well. You know, because I was I was streets behind everybody else, say especially my kicking. Now some people said I never really learned how to kick a ball, but <laughs> look, we got there and we enjoyed it. Must have been a great sense of pride for the family, also, Danny. We've heard from Sean Og earlier on. You know, this idea of the the diaspora coming back home and getting so heavily involved in the championship as you did. Yeah, I mean, uh, your mom and dad were, were, were very proud. Like as I said, dad used to take us out to Golden Gate Park practicing it, and I'd say you know it 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 would have been un- unbelievable perform. Where my mother was born in America as well, so. Even though she she had Irish heritage, you know. So, but no, it was, it was they were very proud. And look, I mean, it's 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 nearly like a dream, you, you know. Who 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 could write it? You know. Look, as I said, I was lucky enough. Good players, good team, good coach, and everything just fell into place. Listen, Danny the Yank Cold, if you don't mind me calling you the Yank one more time for the purpose of this show. Thanks so much for talking to us. Not a bother. Thanks, lads. Come on, please. Can we all just please stop calling Danny the Yank? He's here thir- <laughs> like thirty three years on. I mean, as an apprenticeship, I think that's it's well served. Ken, it's a long weekend. Please advise our beloved listeners before we go. What should and what shouldn't they do with their bank holiday? Uh, well, actually, I'm going to give them advice for a little further on the week, which is to watch the Olympic opening ceremony. Oh, yeah. This is apparently the thing that people, uh, when they look at polls and so on, people most look forward to about the Olympics is the opening ceremony. Really? Yeah, apparently so. Um, so market research says, anyway. Uh, and when you think of the last two, you can sort of see the point. Um, the one in Beijing was was an incredible spectacle. Sort of, we are this you know superpower. Uh, the British one uh, in 2012 was also very interesting. What gives me? Uh, I'm interested to see the story Brazil decides to tell about itself. It's by the City of God director Fernando Morelos. All right, which... that'll do it for this morning. Second Captain Sunday. If you feel like getting in touch before next week's show, tweet us at Second Captain. Stay tuned for Marion Fanuk and thanks to Sheila Newell on sound. Mark Orkin and Simon Hick produced. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening and have a great long weekend. Second Captain, first Captain, whatever. <laughs>